Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red, joined as always by Nizar Hassan. Hey Nizar, it's great to be back, right? Yeah, I'm so excited for this. Three yeah. weeks is a long time. Yeah, we we basically took like a Ramadan vacation. Uh, and, and now we're back. Aid is uh, this week and we're back in the saddle. Yep. And and we're, we're starting out with, you know, some very, very light topics this week. You know, we're, we're talking about racism, homophobia, you know... Crackdowns on freedom of speech, you know, like like, like the, the fun, the fun topics, right? Yeah. Compared to the other news, maybe that's the lightest. <laughs> but don't worry, we'll also get to the budget as well. This week's going to be a little bit weird because we're not going to have like a, a big main topic just because we were gone for so long that we have so much to cover. So we're going to do sort of like uh, go through everything that we missed or a lot of what we missed and then do sort of like mini deep dives uh, along the way. And and the first thing that we have to talk about is, I, I wasn't joking, racism. What happened in Faraya? And it's still going on in Faraya. Yeah, another scandal by a Lebanese municipality forcing Syrian residents or workers to um, have a curfew or stop moving around in the in the village after a certain time. But Faraya took it to the next level and they banned Syrian people from being present on the sides of the highway, on the side of the main road of Faraya at any time, day or night. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we've seen um, before cases where municipalities have said, okay, after dark, Syrians aren't allowed to be out, but this is the first, like, full on and at least that I'm aware of thing where they say okay Syrians you are not allowed here at all and and, and it really is incredible the the uh, municipality of Faraya which by the way is like this sort of posh resort town it's home to like a whole lot of like ski resorts and stuff like that uh, some of the best skiing in Lebanon can be found in Faraya so so this town is really sort of doubled down on this my colleague at the Daily Star, uh, Jacob Boswell, had a really great front page story the other day where he spoke to the mayor uh, and the mayor said, oh, no, I, th- I think this is a good thing. Not really a problem. He, he also called up a, a couple of resort owners who were very vocally enthusiastic about this ban of Syrians. Do you want to read the quote, Ben? I, go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so one of the resort's owners, he said, on your right side of the road, you have the sidewalk. If you go during the afternoon, you see women, children, and men. It's nice. But when Syrians are there, it's not nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can't get worse. <laughs> Racism can't be more normalized. This is incredible. And the mayor himself, when they asked him, when, uh, when the reporter asked him about this, he said, yeah, but they can still travel by vehicle, but they just can't be walking around. Like, are we just banning humans for being Syrians from being present and from like, we just don't want people to see that they exist. Right. So that maybe if they pass by vehicles, there will be less chance for you to actually see them. Right, right, right. And 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 the mayor. These are the mayor's words. But the a banner that that announces the ban doesn't make this distinction. But yeah. Uh, bottom line: if you're planning on going to Faraya, you might you know think twice about where you're going to be staying. Yeah, and whether you will be going to Faraya or not at all, because a lot of people are calling for boycotting the the resorts there and the, just the area to put pressure on the municipality because of how outrageous this is. We'll see what happens, but I think this will be a short kind of short-lived uh, outrage. Usually, this is what happens because political forces really are totally okay with this. Oh yeah. Um, moving on to another light subject, uh, homophobia. We. <laughs> We we finally have Grinder banned in Lebanon. Uh, you remember back in January, there was like this weird partial ban where we really didn't know what was going on. But finally, we found out not this past Friday, but the Friday before the Ministry of Telecommunications issued an order to ISPs ban Grindr.com and this associated IP address. 
so it's th- it's there. Um, I I checked right before we went on the air here. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Saturday, um, and it seemed at least o- uh, over MTC Touch that I was still able to like see like text right and and see messages and stuff like that but i just couldn't see like pictures and stuff Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure exactly and and i've heard of other people experiencing the exact same thing uh so i'm not exactly sure what's going on here but uh bottom line the the order is in place um and we've seen it so things are going to depend on like how quickly this is implemented uh, and whether the order actually covers all of Grinder, you know, like this one IP address, maybe they have multiple IP addresses, maybe they use other IP addresses, one IP address for certain things and, uh, you know, for certain modes of communication, another IP address for other co- modes of communication. So depends on those two things, whether Grinder is actually going to be banned. Um, there, there's still uh, also a couple of important unanswered questions here. Um, one is that we still don't know the legal basis of the order. And I am sort of at a loss as to what that might be. But we do know that two of the country's top prosecutors, these are prosecutors at the Court of Cassation, which is like the highest court in the country. Two of the prosecutors there are involved in this, right? So I don't know why such high-powered prosecutors are involved in this, uh, but uh, Marie Abu Murad and Ahmed Kabbalan are are both involved in making this. It, it wasn't just the Ministry of Telecommunications, right? Like they were acting on orders from judges uh and and both of these judges were involved because obviously this is the biggest national security threat to lebanon and and no i really it was it was so funny reading the reason that they stated for this for this decision which is that they found out they discovered that gay and bisexual people were using this app for connection to hook up or to hang out or whatever and they were like shocked to discover this apparently i mean that's basically the application that's what it's made for the fuck guys yeah 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 it's really bizarre and there's it's good to mention that there's no legal basis for banning gay people or bisexuality in lebanon right we talked about it in the lgbtq op, uh, episode and there's nothing uh, illegal about being gay there's something that might be used in certain cases against gay sex but there's nothing called like it's illegal to be gay or bisexual yeah yeah, yeah. And, and here like this really highlights i think a few important things that you're you're touching on here like on the one hand we have the case it really sort of encapsulates this nexus of overly powerful security institutions and and then the judiciary which doesn't really seem to be too mindful of transparency or really explaining you know like what is the basis for this or you know where does this order come from uh, that's that's one thing that that I think uh, is an important thing to highlight here. Another thing is just like this is you know it's a setback for freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, of course, this is another like punch down action uh, taken specifically against the LGBTIQ community here in Lebanon. And in general, there's just no good excuse for the state to be interfering in this. And it's also kind of useless. Like, okay, even if you do this, then everybody can just either use a VPN or you can uh, simply switch to like, there's there's a million other apps that you can switch to. Yeah, we can have a special uh, episodes about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. It, it's pointless. As you're saying, it's pointless. It is pointless other than effective. to like demonstrate that like, oh, we're still against gays. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Uh, we also had a really big event happen. Uh, the passing of sort of like this really huge name in in Lebanese politics and in, in, in Lebanon in general. The former Maronite patriarch, the one before the current patriarch, Nasrallah Sfer, died uh, while uh, while we were away. 
Um, and he died just, you know, a few days before turning 99. Uh, he, he was a really big figure. He was appointed patriarch, I, I think, in 86. So like at the, in the middle of the Civil War. And and he was patriarch through all the 90s and the early 2000s through the um, uh, assassination of Rafiq Hariri, through the leaving of Syrian forces from Lebanon uh, but before he finally stepped down in 2011. He was sort of like larger than life in this respect. He was just there for so long in this extraordinarily important position in Lebanon. Yeah, and he was a controversial political figure at certain points uh, at the end of the civil war. But in general, he's being praised uh, for opposing the Syrian occupation of Lebanon and for taking some political stances. And specifically, the LF were the most, the Lebanese forces were the most interested in investing in this moment with like flags that have the LF's logo and and Sfair's uh, face or other banners, etc., that focus on his uh, on him standing for sovereignty and independence, uh, in reference to him standing against the occupation of the Syrian regime and against Hezbollah in, in his last you know decade being a patriarch. So in general, like we didn't see, although he was a controversial figure at many points in history, we didn't see anyone making critical comments about it. Everyone was in Kirki, everyone was you know paying their respect from across the political spectrum. Right, right. E- even if people disagreed uh, with certain things or, or or disliked him even. Time and place, right? The, nobody really came out and said any, said any of that stuff uh, with one notable exception, right? Yeah, one person was slightly less intelligent in his comments, <laughs> in his reaction. The head of the General Confederation of Lebanese Workers, Bashar al-Asmar, which is supposed to be to be this, you know, body combining a lot of unions and federations. It's completely co-opted by the ruling class. It's ineffective, etc. But it doesn't matter. Still a major figure because of, you know, all the protests and strikes happening lately. And uh, he was, he made a self-deprecating joke about praying all night for Sfair, who might, you know, become a saint now. There's discussions about that. So that he bring back Asmar's hair, because, you know, his bald, and his erection, his ability to have an erection. It's, it was absolutely like stupid and and the it fact self-deprecating to yeah. asmar like asmar said it like he, asmar called himself bald and impotent basically yeah but i mean he said it on a stage before giving like a press conference along other people from the uh, jclw and he said it while having four microphones in front of his face i, I mean really it could not be more stupid and someone told him after he said the joke someone told him be careful maybe one of the mics is on and this is how the video ends with these men laughing about it anyway it caused wide outrage because you know we can't handle a bad joke in lebanon and uh, politicians were you know inciting against him Gibran basile tweeted saying like he should be you know we should make an example out of this guy so that no one you know crosses the boundaries of human dignity etc Oh, especially, you know, Christian politicians were excited to to invest in this moment to make it something like that, very, very outrageous. He was summoned and he was detained, actually, for a period of 10 days. And he was forced to resign as head of the of the confederation, which is which was, you know, like kind of so immediate. It was absolutely surreal, like just in, within a couple of days, I think within 24 hours of his uh, detention, he was. Uh, he just resigned at the head of the confederation, and many federations and unions were like kind of halting their participation in the confederation until he steps down, etc. So it became kind of a scene of you know national panic about this one little comment made by this guy, while the whole country was like literally boiling because of the budget discussions and everything. 
Right, right, right. And 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 uh, th- this was brought up by a lot of people as well that, oh, this this issue, like he's being charged with these things that really seem to be outside of the scope. It wasn't just defamation, you know, it was uh, attacking a religious ritual or something yeah. like that, which is sort of like this bizarre twisting of the law, uh, essentially so so that they could uh, bring more charges against him or have harsher punishment for him. Right. Which, which is just a, a total perversion of, ju- of justice. Yeah. Like, r- regardless if, yeah, the comment was stupid. It was a dumb thing to say, especially with cameras and mics and everything like that around you. But at the same time, you look at what happened afterwards and like, are you fucking kidding me? That that's ri- that's absolutely ridiculous. We should mention as well that those who laughed at the joke also got investigated. We're not sure if charges are going to be brought or anything, but Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Are we going to put people in jail for laughing at a joke now? I mean, <laughs> it can get worse, can it? And also we had another issue with related to freedom of expression and the crackdown on it uh, with Fida Aitani, the, the journalist, being sentenced to a total of 22 months in prison and uh, being forced to pay 50, around $50,000 in fines and penalties for a Facebook post. Just one Facebook post when, where he hints at many things, but he insults uh, uh, the president, like not really insulting him, but just implying something bad about him. And then also uh, Foreign Minister Gibran Basile. And that's what he got, 22 months in jail. Yeah, there's this really weird thing in Lebanese politics. You would, you would think, like, uh, if you're coming from like an American mindset, uh, for instance, like, oh, these politicians, they're really thin skinned. They can't they can't take anything. Everything goes to like they they will bring charges or that like, somebody who is their supporter will bring charges against them at the drop of a hat uh, 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 against anybody who defames or get, comes close to defaming them. But that's just sort of like how the game is played here. And if you don't if you don't do that if you don't play the game then i guess you're seen as weak or you, like you're not pressing your mm. advantage you're not using all the laws to your advantage and that could cost you in the long term so it's a weird system the way it's set up yeah but it's clear that uh, our you know post cedar revolution political class is not very interested in freedom of expression anymore i mean they you know they anymore they yeah i mean after romanticizing uh, freedom of expression while having this uh, campaign against the syrian regime and their patronage over Lebanon. Now they're not that, you know, excited about the topic anymore, it seems, yeah. Um, yeah, and meanwhile, we had a, a very different judicial outcome uh, just uh, this past week, actually, but it grew out of something posted on Twitter originally. Yeah, so last week, uh, the military court had the final session for uh, the case of Suzanne Hashbesh and Eli Gabash, who were uh, charged for their involvement in the fabrication of uh, evidence against the actor Ziad Aitani. And what happened is that uh, Suzanne Habesh was acquitted from the charge of fabricating the evidence while Eli Gabash was uh, indicted. Uh, but let's look at what really happened because the original story was that Habesh coordinated with Gabash to create evidence that, you know, implied that Aitani was being involved in some kind of treason uh, by, you know, being in touch with people uh, from with Israeli IP addresses or related to the Israeli intelligence on Facebook, etc. And this whole case, this whole initiative started as a punishment for a person called Ziad Aitani for sharing a screenshot of uh, Al-Hajj uh, liking a tweet on Twitter that was basically a joke about um, Saudi women not being able to or not being allowed to drive cars unless they are 
car bombs like wrecked cars uh, this was a joke shared by a Lebanese comedian who is not a funny person at all obviously clearly and, yeah and uh, and the Hubesh uh, like uh, Suzanne Al-Hajj Hubesh liked the tweet and someone took a screenshot of that and this is when she was kind of resigned from being the head of the cybercrime bureau so she was kind of taking revenge against this action this is what this is the story that we understood yeah this is all like what we allegedly understood from all the media coverage and also from the case of the prosecutor back then one year ago and then there were voice notes that were clearly indicating some kind of cooperation between the two and coordination so the voice messages which were leaked by uh, LBCI the TV channel a few days ago they showed some clear signs of coordination between the two on the actions being done against uh, Ziad Aitani and uh, they showed first of all that there was there was a confusion and there was a discussion about which who is the Ziad Aitani we're talking about between Ghabash and Hubesh because they were discussing is it this person that person because they look the same although they look different etc but anyway the, the 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 issue was that one of these two Ziad Aitanis was the one who posted the screenshot that made uh, Hubesh very furious uh, but also Rabash was kind of giving her all the updates on what they're doing. You know, the, we prepared the Facebook, the fake Facebook accounts. We will add him now and we will send him a link. Um, and he praised how fast things went when Ziad Aitani was like suddenly, you know, arrested with it. Like within two days, he was just arrested by state security. Um, and what uh, Peter Germanus, the commission, the government commission to the military court described as a race between security agencies. So state security were so excited to take on this case because they they thought that he was actually an Israeli uh, spy and they wanted you know to uh, to cr- to take on the case before anyone else does meaning the internal security forces of course and even Hajj like in her voice messages to Rabash she asks him uh, did any of the guys meaning probably the security uh, state security people who were detaining Ziad Aitani did any of them ask him why he took the screenshot or who he sent it to or why he did it in the first place and what he has against me or whatever so it was clear that this was the motivation behind everything and although these were released to the public and although these were evidence inside the co- the case and and being presented to the court before they were completely disregarded they just magically the court did not consider any of this in its last session and Daitani was not present because of some military court rules uh, although he was a victim who spent one and 109 days I think in detention and he told us that he was kind of tortured really bad during this time despite all of this he was not present in the in the, in the session and the prosecutor Peter Germanus, who was supposed to be making a case against these people who did this crime of, you know, fabricating evidence, was the big surprise of the day because he, instead of actually making the case against them as a prosecutor, he said, no, Hubesh should is innocent, should not make any crimes, commit any crimes, but Rabash is the one who has been committing these kind of hacking crimes against many people, and he takes this uh, fabricating of evidence thing very easily. Um, so Peter Germanus said, Hubeish shouldn't even ta- uh, be charged with ignoring a crime being committed that she knows of. Uh, An incredible thing for the prosecutor to be saying. Yeah, r- really strange, really strange. A lot of question marks about that. And the court's uh, committee, which is like five people, uh, not all of them judges, it includes military officers mainly, they decided to acquit Hubeish from the charge of conspiring to fabricate the evidence but uh, they indicted her through Article 399 of the Penal Code, which says, which says if you are an employee and you witness a crime being committed and you don't report it to the authorities, 
then you get to be punished. But she was uh, only indicted for two months and the penalty of $133, which everyone in Lebanon is joking about now, and two months in jail, which she had already spent during the detention because she spent almost one year in detention. So she's out, she's released. And Rabash was indicted with fabricating the evidence. Three years of hard labor were just reduced to one year and he already spent one year in detention. So he's out as well. So basically, um, one person was the victim of this weird, strange kind of spontaneous conspiracy and then uh, spent 109 days in detention and went through all of the things he went through and his reputation was completely destroyed. He lost a lot of friends, etc. And then this was not taken into consideration at all by the court as like the result of this action. And what we have is two people going free. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the other thing to note here is that we said who who this person is, Suzanne Al-Hajj Habesh. And what a lot of people see here is that last part, Habesh. She is married to the brother of a very, very prominent uh, MP, a very, very high-powered lawyer, Hadi Habesh. Uh, she's married to, to his brother. And so whether or not this is the case, what people see is potentially, oh, there was some political deal done here. Yeah, let's just say, a lot of people think this is a scandal. There's a lot of uproar against it uh, in terms of on social media and on different kinds of media uh, channels. And we have a protest actually scheduled for uh, for Monday at 5.30 in front of the military court uh, against this decision calling for uh, another trial and also against, you know, uh, not only political interference, but also the military court dealing with the civilian issues as well as um, uh, the, the kind of the crackdown on freedom of speech and because freedom of speech is the, the heart of whole, this whole thing. Why posting a screenshot on a social media site can cause this whole conspiracy is something like, um, it's just unbelievable. Uh, very quickly, on another note, I want to mention David Satterfield, who is the acting assistant secretary of state uh, in the U.S. for Near Eastern Affairs. Uh, he's been doing the shuttle diplomacy between Lebanon and Israel, basically trying to get the two sides to come together to have negotiations over the border, uh, the land border, but m like probably more importantly, the, the maritime border, because everybody is exploring for oil and gas out there. So this, this is an ongoing thing. There's a lot of rumors flying around. We don't know whether anything's going to actually come of it. But if something does come of it, and there seems to be quite a bit of momentum, he's gone back and forth a few times now. If something does come of this, that would be really huge. But on to things that we actually know about, my latest favorite topic, the budget, <laughs> was passed. It was passed by cabinet. It still has to go through parliament. But cabinet, they met like 20 sessions over uh, the past month. And we, we actually have a document. Uh, there, there's something that is leaked uh, that, that I've seen uh, that we think is the actual like thousand plus page document of everything. So we, we, we've, got, we've got stuff and, it, and most of the stuff is what we thought it was. We, we've, we've spoken a lot about the budget previously on this program. So we're not gonna go super in depth with this, but I do want to run through a few numbers and then make a couple of points about this really quickly. So the total budget this year is 23.3 trillion lira, about $16 billion. And that's down from the 2018 document, about $360 million. Not a whole lot, right? Uh, on, on the face of it, it's only like a 0.6% cut in terms of like GDP. And, and the deficit uh, is only like $2.8 billion, which is like south of 5% of GDP. Amazing, right? Yeah. Well, 
theoretically, yeah. But all of these numbers are fiction. <laughs> it's it's all a big lie. Uh in 2018, the estimated deficit was really 11.5% of GDP. And side note, the finance ministry still has not released figures for December. We don't know. This is the latest they've ever released them. They're usually released in March. It is now June. And the finance ministry is still fucking sitting on the figures. Total coincidence. I'm sure. I'm sure. If it's 11.5% of GDP which is the number that they're talking about, what the budget deficit was last year, that comes out to about $6.5 billion. And so comparing anything to the actual 2018 budget document is really farcical. And then there's also reason to believe, I'd, I would argue, that this year's budget document is largely fiction as well. Uh, the big thing that's not in it is EDL, transfers to EDL. Well, it's sort of included. It's not included where it should be. The line item that it should be is still zero. There is no line item where EDL transfers should be in the budget. But on one of the summary pages of the budget, it includes like a partial number for EDL that's outside of that 23 trillion number that I that I just mentioned. And then but then you have to go that that partial number is only half of the real number. You have to go into the text to find the real number. And and so if you do all of that, and they did this at the French newspaper, help me with the name. <laughs> Lorient Le Jour. Yes. Your pronunciation is much more beautiful than mine is. Uh, <laughs> if, if you do that, then this document actually authorizes an additional $1.6 billion uh, in the budget. So if you add everything together, that $1.6 billion to the previous $2.8 billion, that was the original deficit, then you get to $4.4 billion, or about 7.6% of GDP, which is what they announced that they had cut the budget to. So that's how you get that. That is the math of how you get to this number that you see, like Jamal Jarrah coming out and saying, oh, the cabinet session, we, you know, cut the budget down to 7.59% or whatever he said. That's the math of how you get this. So that, that leads to an interesting question, though, because they basically cut $2 billion from the, from the deficit. In 2018, the deficit was something like $6.5 billion, and it went down to $4.45 billion. So mm. where did that... Two billion come from, and and it's kind of hard to see because the numbers are super similar to the 2008 budget. So we have to look at the policies, the new policies that are introduced in the 2019 budget, and decide if they're like really going to support the numbers that they're expecting to see. Um, and and we've been through most of these before uh, mm. uh, on this show. Um, uh, a friend of the show, Jeremy Arbeed, has a nice Twitter thread on the main measures here. Uh, uh, several things were added, um, and, and I think he based that off of work from uh, Bank Biblos. But basically, we have to divide things into like measures that will have an impact and measures that maybe won't have an impact. Uh, and and I think there there are a few like sort of obvious calls, you know cutting military retiree salaries by 3%, for instance, like that's something that if it passes, if it makes it through parliament, that will have an effect because that's something the state can do very easily and will do if the law supports it, right? Yeah. Um, capping salaries at 12, you know, 12 salaries per year instead of, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 salaries per year as, as some people were getting. It's effectively a pay cut. If it, if it passes, it will have an effect on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Um but then other measures strike me as a little bit more like magical thinking, things like extra customs fees, uh, random stuff like they have they've this really bizarre shisha tax, like every head of Argile, you have to pay a, a thou on like 66 cents 
on, which is just ridiculous. That will never make the state any like there. I don't see how that's enforceable in any way whatsoever. I mean, if the residents were not enforcing the smoking ban, do you think they will enforce a fee on every single argili head? It's just yeah. <laughs> and if you think that you, I mean, there are a million ways around. If if you're not controlling it at the restaurant then you're trying to control it at like the warehouse level, like the distributor level. That's also hugely problem. Like there's just no, there's no way that you're going to be making as much money as, as you should be making, you know, that this is just an impossible tax to really implement. And I really want to know who suggested it. I really want to know who's this guy who came up with this brilliant idea that this is the most taxable thing. And in a country where we have so much tax evasion, this is the tax that can make that we can make sure we collect fully. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so at, at least for me, the the jury's still out on the 2019 budget. Uh, but I definitely don't believe everything that I read. I I think that there is quite a bit of it that is fictitious, uh, and there's quite a bit of it that's magical thinking. I think, but I'm not sure how that how that plays out in the actual like bottom line dollar numbers. I really don't know. And that's yeah. the big question, I think. I think that's that's a really important point you're making. And another one that we will probably be able to elaborate more on in the future is uh, how much money is being taken from each source, you know, because some little measures sometimes they uh, they turn out to be actually pretty significant for people with low incomes. So we have to right. see what we have of analysis. And when we look at the numbers more closely, because it's such a huge document as well, maybe we can offer more insight about this in future episodes. Uh, one other thing that bears on this is the hiring freeze. D- basically, one thing in the budget uh, that seems like it's going to pass is sort of like doubling down on the hiring freeze that, that was introduced originally in August of 2017. Um, very quickly, we know that this measure has not really been watertight either, right? Mm. <laughs> and that's because Ibrahim Kanan and the rest of the Finance and Budget Committee in Parliament they held all of these hearings earlier this year on this, made this huge report, and they finally submitted it to Nabi Berri and the Court of Audit. And Ibrahim Kanan came out and said 37,022 state employees are not employed, were not employed in the legal manner. Basically, somehow they went around the normal hiring process or they're not employed in the right, like in a legal category that, mm-hmm. that like, or a category that exists in Lebanese law. Um, and connected to that, 32,000 of those were before the hiring freeze came into effect in August 2017, but 5,000 were after that. Uh, and so we have a, you know, it's it's a very leaky ban on, on the hiring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and about this specifically, after August 2017, when the ban was passed, we had a few months before, you know, eight months before the elections, right? The exactly the elections that were postponed many times. So five thousand people were employed due to political connections, mostly ahead of the elections. I wonder what that counts as. Yeah, yeah. And so the effect on the bottom line, you you might say, oh well, because of that, it's not really going to have an effect on the bottom line. But the fact that they are actually looking into this stuff, uh, and and they've done done this uh, report, and they filed the report, and and now even we we have some charges being filed. The pa- this past week, a prosecutor at the Court of Audit uh, sued three state employees, including uh, the boss of Ogero, uh, Imad Kredie, basically for the, the violations, for these hiring violations, and also ordered a halt to the salaries of 462 state employees, most of them at Ogero. Um, and, and this all just happened on Friday. 
Uh, so we're, we're expecting more of these kinds of actions to happen. So it's, it's possible that the hiring freeze could be getting some teeth. And so maybe this part of the budget, you know, that says, oh, well, we're not hiring any new state employees. Maybe that actually will be more effective than the previous version, uh, the, the August 2017 hiring freeze. And one last thing that has been happening throughout the, the last few weeks is the protests, right? We've had many, many protests by military veterans, by Lebanese university teachers and students uh, who are protesting now against cuts to the Lebanese university budget, which is also like incredible, like the fact that they are cutting the university budget while we only have this one public university and all private universities are raising their tuition, becoming completely not affordable for the the majority of the population. So students and and teachers are kind of taking actions together for this. Uh, At the same time, because the teachers have gone on strike, the teachers that are, you know, fixed employees and in uh, and, and the state are going on strike. Students are in a bit of a, of a difficult situation because they're worried about the academic year, etc. But we had a lot of other protests as well by military veterans, as mentioned, and uh, some of those escalated into kind of scuffles with, with the security forces or them trying to go uh, closer to the Serai, etc., we had a short-lived strike by central bank employees who were protesting against uh, cutting a quarter of the salaries because this rule that you can't get more than 12 salaries, in their case, they get 16, which doesn't mean that they are rich or anything because the salaries might be modest. At the same time, they get 16 of those, but they will lose a quarter of them if, if a decision like that happens. Uh, so they uh, they held the strike for a couple of, for a few days and then that's why the the stock market uh, stopped for one day. Ooh. Yeah, big <laughs> stock market we have. And then the general confederation of Lebanese workers that we mentioned uh, also went on strike, but it's not very effective. It was you could not really see the strike, but a few institutions were abiding by it. Yeah, there were there were a lot of just like various strikes going on uh, over the past month or so. Um, and 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 this is something that I, I I'm not sure how effective all of these things were. I need to do like a much more a much closer reading of the budget document. Uh, it doesn't seem to me that everybody really got what they wanted, uh, but for sure, this means that we're going to see continued action at, as the draft budget goes to Parliament. Yeah, I I think this is a time for a lot of us to absorb to absorb what happened and like go into the details of the budget and then reveal the controversial things about it, right? The students of the Lebanese University have already done that uh, by stating that their budget, the budget for the university is much lower, $27 million, I think, lower than uh, last year. But uh, a lot of other people with interests will have to do the same within the next couple of weeks and raise their objections because we will see, you know, the liberation in parliament. We will obviously see some populist MPs who are trying to portray themselves as anti-establishment like Jamil Sayed or uh, probably Kataab as well, uh, who are not in the government or Paula Yaoubian. They will be talking about the budget in critical terms. So this will fuel more discussions. But I think, you know, bottom line is we don't know if, if they were effective, these protests, but we know that they might have been effective in preventing harsher measures. Uh, I think that the kind of situation that they created in the country, especially the military veterans being um, being uh, very active during this uh, time and you know politicians trying to say, yeah, actually we support them, we shouldn't cut anything from the salaries or whatever. And, and just the situation of people being very angry before anything really dramatic is decided, uh, it was kind of preventive action in, in a lot of cases. Uh, I think this was kind of a balancing factor because otherwise I would have expected 
some increase of VAT or some gasoline tax or other th- horrible things that we talked about before right. that would have had a very regressive outcome. Right, right. And and just to give everybody an idea of what's going to be going on on the ground, on Monday, the Finance and Budget Committee is scheduled to open up its first hearing uh, in, into the budget. And then they're going to, we have Eid next week, they'll have a break for Eid, and then after Eid, come back. And basically, the idea is they will be most likely having one or two sessions even every day uh, until they finish things. They they did this last year because the budget was being rushed through to, to, to finish before the Paris 4 conference. And it took, uh, I, I believe, about two weeks for the Finance and Budget Committee to finish everything, do, doing these just like packed schedules, like really, you know, going through everything at a very, very, you know, like you've got the national defense budget, you've got one session to look at all of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they did it last year. It seems as though they're probably going to do that again this year. And so we're looking uh, at them being finished probably in a couple of weeks. And then at some point after that, Nabi Berri will call a general assembly of parliament and that'll be probably two or three days long. And then at the end of that, they will uh, go through and vote article by article. That's how you're supposed to do it for the budget, vote article by article and, and you know, probably pass everything and everything will be wrapped up before the end of this month. And that's the budget for 2019. Just to make sure all our listeners are aware this, this, is, this is supposed for... to be done by the end of December, yeah. <laughs> so they're planning what to spend in the last five months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, clearly this is also something that we will be taking a closer look at as well over the next few episodes. We'll be covering this in depth uh, for you all. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I have a feeling things could get exciting with protests and stuff. Yeah, um, maybe we'll see some protests and... Uh... Maybe there's still an opportunity for the next few weeks, you know, to talk more and more about the economy as, a, you know, to keep it in public discourse and talk about it in a critical manner. So it's still an opportunity, I think, for kind of political organizing and mobilization. Let's see what happens. And of course, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. <laughs> Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar Elfil.